Hello friends! We are bringing Cedarville University to cities all across the country in our first ever nationwide tour. As part of the Transform Tour, you'll experience dynamic worship, be challenged from God's Word, and hear how God is blessing and transforming lives at Cedarville. Visit cedarville.edu forward slash transform tour to discover if we'll be near you. We hope to see you there. Hannah Bradley is a walking miracle. Just 25% of people who are diagnosed with bacterial meningitis survive. But Hannah has not only survived, she is thriving in her studies at Cedarville University. Thank you, Sarah. And hello, everyone. I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. The campus has settled down a little since last week's graduation, which was alive and buzzing. And I hope you enjoyed my conversation with graduating senior Rufus Matthew. That young man has a high ceiling, and he's a tribute to Cedarville University. Today on the Cedarville Stories podcast, I am focusing on a Cedarville sophomore who many people consider to be a walking miracle. I will be talking with Hannah Bradley, a theater major from Pittsburgh, Indiana, who was diagnosed with bacterial meningitis when she was just 15 years of age. And according to the national statistics, just 25% of infected people survive this illness. Hannah Bradley is one of those blessed individuals, and she is here today to talk about her journey through illness and life at Cedarville University. And with that said, let me welcome Hannah Bradley to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. It's great to have you in studio today, today, Hannah. (laughs) It's really great to be here. I'm honored to have this opportunity. Uh, I've been waiting for this for uh, several weeks. I primarily want to talk with you about your battle with bacterial meningitis Mm -hmm. and your near-death experience. But before we get to that part of the story, let's talk about your leading role in Anna Green Gables that was on the Cedar Row stage last year. Knowing your story as I do, How meaningful was it for you to be acting so quickly after your health scare, which we'll talk about in a little bit? Yeah. um, Well, acting is one of my favorite things to do in the world, um, and I'm so thankful for um, all the opportunities the Lord's given me in that. Um, I was actually in a performance of Anne of Green Gables with a community theater um, not long after I—it was was less than a year Mm -hmm. um, after I— had gotten sick and I uh, played the role of Diana. And ever since then, I would just fallen in love with the show. And, um, Anne was on, on my bucket list. She was at the top of my list of roles that I wanted yeah. to play. And so, um, when, uh, um, the audition announcement came out, I was through the roof excited. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, I just, I worked so hard for it. I, I, it was one of the hardest, um, hardest work I'd put into an audition. And, I was just so grateful to to be able to get that opportunity. It was it was a dream come true, and I was really excited about it. How meaningful was it for you to get that leading role, knowing that not long before that you couldn't walk? Yeah, well, it it was very it was very meaningful, and honestly, kind of helped create the character of Anne. She's a very um, mm-hmm. uh, physical character. She loves to move. She has a huge imagination, and that translates very much to her physicality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to uh, kind of make a joke with my friends that since it's it's been about four years since I got sick, I say that you know I've really only been walking for four years. Right. So I call call them my toddler legs sometimes, yeah, um, because my balance isn't great. So um, when that when I had to portray a twelve year old on stage as a nineteen year old, um, 
uh, that w- that was something that really actually kind of aided me to just kind of be able to like spin around and lose my balance and then catch myself again and just kind of create that vivacious um, character of Anne. So in, in that regard, you weren't acting. You were actually, it was real. <laughs> yeah. Some of it was acting, but some of it was just me falling over. <laughs> wow. Wow. So Hannah Bradley is my guest this week on the podcast. And I'd like to transition into the time when you first learned that something medically was wrong with you. As I've learned your story, you were traveling with your family to Miami, Florida, to celebrate your grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary. And when that joyous moment actually turned sober, uh, will you share with us those initial days when you knew something wasn't right medically? Yeah. So we actually we actually flew all the way down to Sanibel Island, um, okay. which is about three hours south of Miami. And um, my grandparents had rented the house we were staying in for the whole month, and they were there together. And then um, my family and my aunt's family mm-hmm. um, had gone down there for, we were going to be there for a week. And I, it was actually the day before we arrived there, I started having a really, really bad headache. Okay. Um, and I would, had been at a, an amusement park with one of my friends, um, and I hadn't drank a lot of water, and we'd gone on a lot of rides. Yeah. So I figured it was the roller coasters and a little bit of dehydration that had just given me this really bad headache. Right. Um, but about 24 hours into the trip was when I went to the ER. I, we were there for less than a day. I just, it, it was the worst headache of my entire life. Um, and I had a 103 degree fever oh and I was just miserable. And I, I laid on the couch with a bag of ice on my head because mm. that was the only thing that was helping at all. Um, and even then we weren't really super concerned. My parents, um, were like, she's very dehydrated. So my, um, my plan was, their plan was to take me to the ER to, um, get some IV fluids and some medicine and just be good as new and on my way. And, um, my, I couldn't really get up and walk. So my dad picked me up, um, to carry me to the car. And when he did like that movement, just, I, threw up oh. everywhere and it was it wasn't normal looking right um and so that's when we started to get a little bit concerned but even when we got to the er i don't remember this part um the last thing i remember is throwing up again in the er waiting room um and the doctors were like we want to test her for meningitis and my parents were like oh that's that's way too serious like we don't think anything is really that wrong with her right. um I, we don't want to overreact or anything um and eventually the doctor was just like look, I know you don't think this is necessary, but I do. So I'm going to perform a spinal tap, whether you consent or not, because I think this could save her life if we find out this is meningitis. Yeah. Um, and he did, and that's what it was. And he, he did save your life. Let's keep moving forward in the story. It was, uh, it was in Miami that proved to be a key part of your eventual recovery yes, or life-saving experience, as you've told uh, our story before. Uh, you were in the Miami hospital. You were placed in a medically induced coma. Mm-hmm. And it was around this time when they woke you up and you thought that you were close to the Lord calling you home. Yes. Well, not me still. I um, still don't recall any of that. Okay. I, there's about a gap of at least 10 days that I don't remember at all. Um, so most of what I know from those 10 days is from my parents and the doctors because I have no recollection. But yes, they they put me in that medically induced coma and they um, tried to bring me out of it, um, and I wouldn't wake up. Right. And so they couldn't get me out of it, and they were like, something something is wrong. Um, it was actually one of my nurses who insisted to the doctors. She was like, something is not right. Um, I, I, and she was the one that, that alerted them to that, and um, they, yeah, they realized that they had to put me back in because I was getting another bout of the meningitis, and mm. um, uh, my, all of my, Vital signs were plummeting, and that was a 
a very scary day for my parents um, because the Lord was so close to calling me home. Yeah. So, and I can see as you share that, it, it's still um, emotional for you, understandably so. So during that day, as I read about your situation, that your parents spent a lot of time walking outside, mm-hmm. praying, and actually surrendering whatever the Lord had in store for you that they were willing to accept. Is yeah. that is that true? Yeah, I remember the, my, the first time my mom told me that. Um, it's a very powerful um, testimony from her and my dad's perspective um, because I was so close um, to the brink of, of death, and they did. Um, my mom has you know, just talked about where they were both thinking it in their heads and neither of them had voiced it out loud. But my mom turned to my dad and she was like, are, are you, have you told the Lord that it's okay if he decides to call her home? Um, and he said, Joanna, I have. And, um, that was just the moment where they just, they, it was one of the hardest things they've ever had to do. Um, my dad says that. And, but it's that's so powerful for me as their daughter to mm-hmm. to see them mm-hmm. um just be so willing to give give up everything to the Lord. That's a great um they're great role models. Oh, absolutely. For you, right? I've been so blessed by them just to to get to grow up watching them yeah. um serve the Lord. So how and, and there's still more of the story to get to, but how has the Lord used this portion of your story to build your faith in him? Uh, so much, <laughs> so much more than I can say. Um, it was at a time in my life where I was, I was really struggling with um, worry and doubt. And you were questioning your faith, right? Yes. I was, I was about 15 years old. I, um, I had, uh, I was truly saved, but I just felt like I wasn't doing enough. I felt like um, anytime I was worried about something or I had a doubt that it meant that I wasn't saved. Um, sure. and I was, I am very much someone who likes to have all my ducks in a row, who likes to, um, know what's going on and when, it, when things are going to happen. I, I yeah. like, um, control and stability. And so, um, I was struggling with that as well. And just, um, unsatisfaction and doubt and worry and, um, so I, I remember one night in my bed, uh, just crying out to the Lord. And I was like, Lord, I, I'm stuck and I, I don't know what to do. And I just need you to, to do whatever you need to do, um, to bring me closer to you. Um, and he did. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I can confidently say that the sovereignty of the Lord terrified me when I was, uh, 14, 15, right before it all happened. And now it is my most favorite thing about really? the Lord. Um, is just that he is the one in control of everything and I am not. And that's, that's just something I take so much comfort in because of that. And, you know, I, I have a purpose here on this earth and he reminded me of that by keeping me here. I want to take a break from my conversation on the podcast so I could tell you about Cedarville University's Transform Tour that is coming to a city near you. The Transform Tour would travel 10,000 miles over 26 days to achieve one goal, that being to proclaim the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're scheduled to be in 13 cities, including Grand Rapids, Michigan, Chicago, Denver, Houston, Tampa, and Washington, D.C., to name a few. To learn more about the Transform Tour, visit cedarville.edu transformtour transform tour. The event is free, 
but registration is required. So reserve your place today by visiting cedarville.edu slash transform tour. We are looking forward to seeing you during the transform tour. Now here's the rest of today's Cedarville stories podcast. Let's go back to more of the story. So after being in a coma, using a breathing tube for weeks in Miami, yeah. the doctors finally removed the breathing tube. Yes. But that raised another concern, and the doctors realized the infection caused stroke-like symptoms. And the bottom line for that is you couldn't move on your own. No. Do you remember this situation, and how scared were you at this point? Um, This is where I, I thank the Lord for the nurses that he blessed me with. Mm-hmm. Um. The first thing that I remember about waking up is then when I had the um, the breathing, like the airflow in my nose yeah. um, instead of the breathing tube. And my pastor's wife was actually the first person I remember seeing when I wake up. And and I was like really freaked out about the breathing tube on my face. And she was like, no, 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 it's okay. Aren't you so glad they got that tube out of your throat? And I was like, what tube? What are you talking about? I don't remember a tube. Yeah. Um. So that was like the first thing that I remember. Um. And I don't remember at the exact moment when I realized I couldn't move because the nurses would come in and they would just be like, okay, can you wiggle your fingers for me? Can you wiggle your toes? And I would try and I couldn't. Um, but they were just always like, oh, okay, next time we'll, we'll see and we'll work on building it back up next time. It'll be all right. And so they were just very encouraging. They were never like, it was never like, oh, you can't move. That's a good nurse. Yeah, they were, they were just wonderful. Um, and there were definitely moments where it was very hard to accept that reality that I couldn't move, but I don't remember the, the very first moment when I realized that, but yeah, I, I still, I think about all the time, the picture that I have of they had propped my hospital bed up and I'm sitting up, but my dad had to hold my head up. Um, Why is that? Because if he let go, it my chin would roll to my chest because I didn't even have the muscles to hold my own head up. My goodness. Yeah. So you lost all strength and obviously muscle memory. Yeah. Uh, wow. Well, you were ultimately life flighted from Miami to Riley yes. Hospital for Children in Indianapolis, your home state mm-hmm. of Indiana where you spent another three weeks in the hospital getting inpatient rehab. Yes. During this ordeal, did you ever think that you'd see the day when you were allowed to return home? Because you've been in the hospital for 50, 60 days. Yeah, I was I was in the hospital for a total of um, 50 days. Not, It was hard to imagine that. Um, I basically did inpatient uh, rehab as you do school. I woke up. Um, around seven, eight, I would do physical therapy until lunchtime. I'd have a break for lunch. I'd go back to doing physical therapy until dinner time, um, and then I would have the evenings to myself. But I, I had a nurse at one point who said that as a result of a surgery, she had to le- relearn how to walk, and I was like, it was just kind of really hard for me to comprehend, you yeah. know, walking around normally again yeah. and doing so not surrounded by nurses, you know, who could help me if I fell. So it was, it was hard and long. I, there were days where I remember just waking up and I was like, mom, I don't want to do physical therapy today. I'm exhausted. I'm tired of doing it. And she would look at me and she would say, Hannah, do you ever want to be able to walk on your own again? Yeah. And I would say, yes. And she said, well, then you just have to get up and do this. So you said you were tired. Were you, yeah. were you physically tired or mentally tired or both? Um, both. Um, it was... I was ready to be outside of the hospital, you know, because I'd never, I hadn't set foot outside. And I was thankful that I was allowed um, to have visitors and things. And my mom lived in inpatient with me. So she was there all the time. But also physically, it was exhausting because sure. in the grand scheme of things for, for normal people, it wasn't 
um, heavy duty work. It was throwing balls, walking upstairs, um, you know, uh, lifting like two pound weights. But because I had no muscle, it was like working out for Mm. me all day, every day. So that uh, muscle loss was all because of meningitis. Yeah. So basically it attacked my brain. Um, and well, between that and just muscle atrophy from laying still still, for so long, um, those two things combined. Yeah. It just depleted. If you look at pictures of my legs, they are like unnaturally stick skinny because there was no muscle on them. Yeah. Yeah. So how long did it take you to relearn to walk? Yeah. So I was, I entered the hospital, um, October 17th. That was when everything started to go down. Um, I was moved, um, to Indiana, uh, somewhere around the beginning of, uh, beginning, middle of November. And then I was released from the hospital, um, December 5th. So that was when I stopped doing full-time inpatient rehab. And at that point I was walking with leg braces and a cane. Um, but not for long periods of time. When I started going back to school, I started in a wheelchair. Um, and then I slowly got rid of the cane, um, and walked with my braces, um, and did outpatient rehab. So two, two, three times a week I would go, um, all the way up until mid-March. Okay. And then in mid-March I stopped doing, um, outpatient therapy and I was able to kind of take my braces off, um, around the end of January, beginning of February. Um, but it was still very wobbly. So I was still doing, uh, therapy, but. Do you have any issues walking today? Um, just that, just that I, um, don't walk in a straight line very well. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I have to think about it if I want to walk into a straight line. And so my friends, my friends tease me mad all the time because we'll be walking somewhere and I'll bump into the, run into them or yeah. accidentally steer them yeah. off the sidewalk. Um, so we, we kind of have fun laughing about that. But, um, other than that, it's basically normal to Life walk. Life is normal for you. So yeah. going back to the, from the transition from Miami to Indianapolis, yeah. um, was it at that point where, at least your life was not in jeopardy. It was just yes. now a matter of walking. No, yes. Uh, um, there a little bit before that, I was stable, um, just still on a lot of medicine. Um, I struggle a lot with um, ICU delirium, which is basically my days and nights were mixed up. So I wanted to sleep all day and stay up all night, and so that was miserable for me because my n- nurses kept me up all day. Um, so I was exhausted, but then I didn't couldn't sleep at night. So at that point, they just needed to get me, yeah, so that I didn't have to be plugged into any machines so that I could fly home. Yeah. But at that point, yes, my life was stable. They were not worried about that anymore. It was just um, a matter of learning how to walk and, and function again. Okay. So again, how old were you at this during this I whole time? I was 15 years old. So what grade? Uh, I was a sophomore in high school. Sophomore in high school. So... Um, you didn't take classes during this time. No, what, I did what, not. what happened with your education? Um, so I had the blessing of being able to go to a Christian school from K through 12. What school? Um, Bethesda Christian. Sure. In Brownsburg, Indiana. And uh, so my teachers, I had known them for most of my life and mm. they were fabulous. So the days that I they missed by being sick and in a coma, um, I, I was blessed for them to just be able to kind of catch me up and work with me, but also realize that I didn't have to make up every assignment that my peers did. But Riley is also fabulous. Um, for that inpatient rehab, they actually have a school teacher um, mm. because they have so many kids sure. who need to live there and do rehab. Um, part of their day is they'll meet with the teacher and she connects with the people from their schools and gets the work that they need to do and will do work with them throughout the day. That's so, a great service. Yeah, it was fabulous. So I got to work with her and I would just do my schoolwork that the kids that were in my class were doing at school. And then you just stayed on track and graduated when you're supposed to. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And then you got to come to Cedarville. I did. 
glad you are you glad you came? I'm so glad. Um, that's a whole other story I could talk about forever. But um, the Lord, I'm here because the Lord led me to Cedarville, and I haven't looked back. I love it here. What do you like most about Cedarville? Uh, just the way that the Lord is integrated into everything. I study theater, um, and so in public places, that's a very liberal art. It um, is. And it's, I, it's kind of concerning for me sometimes. I have a heart for just the lostness in the theater industry, but ultimately, that's why I'm here is because I wanted a place where I could study the Lord as I studied art. That's great. So I want to get back to your story. Yes. <laughs> but, but before I do that, uh, um, what's your hope once you graduate? Um, wherever the Lord takes me, uh, I would love to go to grad school just because, um, there's so much more to learn. And so I want to learn it. And that would enable me to just like, there would be more open doors if I had a master's degree um, sure. in fine arts. So that's my immediate plan. Um, I would love to be a professional actress, but I've also learned that there are so many other avenues in the theater that I can take. So, um, I would love to be able to help other people achieve their dreams in acting. I love creating a passion for theater in other people. So mm-hmm. whether that's um, being a high school theater teacher or being able to work with college students to better themselves, just be able to, I don't know, be in the theater community and at all would be yeah. a blessing. Yeah. yeah. So um, unfortunately for our listeners, they can't see you in studio. And I'm just telling you, uh, Hannah has an infectious energy. <laughs> I can see it and uh, full of life. And uh, I, I hope I hope you... Um, Make it to the big stage someday. Thank I, you. I would love very to much. see you. And I could say I had a podcast with, yes. with Hannah Bradley back when she was a student at Cedarville University. So as we move toward the conclusion of today's podcast, I need to interject here that you struggled a lot of your life with being ill. In fact, mm-hmm. your mom used to call you the healthiest sick kid she ever knew. Yes, she Why did. did she identify you that way? I had uh, four bouts of pneumonia with a bout of pleurisy. Um, my eardrum got so infected twice that it ruptured. Um, I had sinus surgery in eighth grade, constantly sinus infections, but I just continued on through life. Like it never debilitated me. Yeah. There was a, like my freshman year of high school, I had a fever basically every day there just is. because my my body was trying to fight sinus infections. Right. So I would come home from school. I'd be like, mom, I have a fever. I would go upstairs, take Advil and then go to play practice. Wow. And then I would wake up in the morning if I felt I had a fever. Like I got to the point where I could, I didn't even need to take, need to take my temperature. Yeah. I could just tell. Um, and then I would just take Advil and head on my way. So um, even though I have the uh, initials of a medical doctor, MD, I'm not a medical doctor. <laughs> um, could your sinus infections been a precursor to your bacterial meningitis? Yes. So actually that's, that's kind of how it happened. I didn't contract it from somewhere else. Um, my body doesn't produce antibodies. So all the bacteria that lives healthily in everyone else's sinuses, um, just my body couldn't fight it any at all or take care of okay. it or control it. So basically it went from my sinuses and bl- broke the blood brain barrier wow. and it started attacking my brain. Okay. Wow. Very serious. So are you healthy today? Yes. Um, I have infusions that I do weekly that provide me with antibodies. And so, you do that personally? Yes. Okay. It's a subcutaneous infusion. So in my, Dorm room, I hook it all up. I stick myself in the stomach, and I actually did it this morning. <laughs> so you do it every every day, every week, every week. Yeah, so I filled myself with antibodies, and we're good to go till next week. <laughs> were you concerned? Uh, this is going off script a little bit, but were you concerned during COVID nineteen? 
Actually, I was not. That's part of the blessing of my infusions. So because I do them regularly and I get that that dose of antibodies, my body's never lacking in them. So I actually was in the house with my parents a couple times who had COVID and I never got it. You were fine. Yeah. So time is coming to a close on the podcast. And for our conversation today, it began with uh, your interest in theater with Anna Green Gables. Yes. And I want to end the program somewhat in the same way. Okay. I believe at Riley's, when you were at Riley's Hospital in, in Indianapolis, you were supposed to be in your high school performance of Sherlock Holmes. Yes. I'm sure you were disappointed when you realized that you weren't going to make that performance. Yeah. But your high school postponed the performance until you were able to participate. What did that mean to you? It meant the absolute world. Um, it That theater department was my family for so much of my life, and that was just a huge blessing. I, I was in a time in my life where I didn't feel very loved, and so not because of anyone outside of me, but because just, of myself. Yeah, just how you felt. Yes. So I remember that day that I realized, Mom, it's it's tech week. It, we should be putting on a show. And she was like, they've decided to, to hold it for you. And I, I couldn't even believe it. But I had come to love that role. And um, my director actually visited me in the hospital several times and ran lines with me and worked on my character with me. And just when I came back, the way that they just loved me and supported me in, in coming back to theater was something I'll never forget. Yeah, I think that speaks to the uh, relationships that are, are found in Christ. Absolutely. Because I don't know if that would happen um, outside of knowing Jesus. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah. So because your high school postponed the play, is yeah. that why Sherlock Holmes is your favorite play? Um, Partially, yes. I also just love the character of Sherlock Holmes, and I, I love a good mystery. That's one of my—I grew up reading Nancy Drew, so I, I love mysteries, and I think it was so fun I got to do a British accent, and it was one of my favorite costumes. Something to say. I'll say one of my favorite lines from the show that I still sure. remember. It closed the show, and it was— I shall never forget you, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> uh, thanks for sharing that. I, I, my last question, Hannah, um, really brings it all to the purpose of this pod or all yeah. our podcasts, and that is, how did your health scare with bacterial meningitis bring you closer to Jesus? Yeah, in so many ways. I could talk for hours, but I think the biggest one is just um, he showed me how dependent I need to be on him. Mm-hmm. You know. He rendered me utterly dependent physically and spiritually on everyone. I couldn't brush my own teeth, do my own hair. For a while, I couldn't feed myself. Yeah. I had to rely on my nurses and my parents for absolutely everything. Um, and that infuriated me that I couldn't do anything on my own. But it just showed me how life can end in an instant mm-hmm. and how little control I have over anything. And just showed me the power and the majesty of the God that we serve. Um, And it gave me a perspective on how small I am, but how big he is. Um, And that just makes his love so much more real and amazing to me. Also at a time when, you know, I didn't feel love that he would look down and and choose to save me Mm -hmm. when he chooses to call so many home. Just makes him so much more real to me and so much more um, awesome to me as well. Yeah, that's... uh... That's great insight and great wisdom that you were able to learn. Actually, I would say you're blessed to learn that at a very young age because there are people my age and older who still don't have that understanding. So I want to thank you for being transparent today and sharing your story. Um, You're a blessing to be with. And 
Hannah, thanks for joining me this week on the Cedar Grove You're Stories so welcome. Podcast. It was an honor. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening to today's Cedarville Stories podcast. Please join us on the road at the Transform Tour this summer. We are coming to Milwaukee, San Diego, Tampa, Lancaster, and many more. Check out cedarville.edu forward slash transform tour to learn more. See you soon.